0: Creative financing seems to be a topic on a lot of people's minds these days. We're going to talk about that on this episode of Real Estate Revenue. This is Real Estate Revenue. Welcome to Real Estate Revenue. I'm your host, Paul Airy, and I've been getting a lot of questions or I'm seeing a lot of questions here lately about creative financing. People want to know about what it is, how to do it, what types work, how you go about getting a deal with creative financing. Creative financing is kind of a tricky thing in a lot of cases, and it can be fantastic for getting into a really good property and making a good deal can also be something that can really hurt you if you don't do it right. It does have a downside, and that's the thing that a lot of people are looking for that's actually the downside of it. So first of all, what's good about it? Well, sometimes it lets you avoid lenders, lets you avoid the bank, lets you avoid mortgage companies, and sometimes it'll let you, if you do that, sometimes it'll let you avoid credit checks and getting loans on your, added onto your credit report. A lot of the creative financing deals are done off the books, and so it never makes it to your credit report. So, why do I think it's bad sometimes? Well, it's the zero money down deal. I'm not saying you shouldn't buy property without your own money or without putting up any money. It's just a right way and a wrong way to go about that. And financing 100% of your property is not the right way to do it, at least not in the long term. So, what a lot of people insist on doing is getting their seller to do some, either try to get the seller to to sell or finance the entire purchase amount or get them to finance a down payment amount. That can be done if it's done right, but if you have a long-term loan on the second part of that on the down payment, that would be on the second lien, um, you're running the risk of having Too much debt service on the property and that can get you into some trouble with cash flow Uh, it can get you into negative cash flow if you're not careful if you don't it can give you a a break-even point that's so high that maybe if you lose one tenant or two tenants you're gonna go below that and so that's what you want to avoid you have to be sensible about it okay and uh, you also don't want to get into something that's got too high of an interest rate so here's something you need to be careful of I'm going to tell you about a guy in, I I hesitate to say the city, because everybody there knows about this guy and what he does. So I'm just not going to say, it's in Texas, okay? Now what this guy does, he owns several houses around town, and he will put a house up for sale, he'll price it well above what the house is actually worth. And he will sell or finance the house at a really high interest rate. Now, keep in mind, I'm talking about back when interest rates were 4%, 5%. But he's selling these houses to people who couldn't otherwise get a loan for it. A lot of these people were illegals coming in from Mexico they had cash. They get paid in cash. They save their money really well. And they may have had, you know, 30000 $40,000 in cash or $20,000 cash for down payment. He would take their cash and finance the house for them, usually at about 12% interest on a house that was already priced over its real value. Now, he was setting them up for failure, basically, and sure enough, the first chance he would get to foreclose on these people, he would do it. If they were if they missed one payment. I mean, the absolute minimum. If they lost, if they missed a payment, he would go and foreclose on them. Now, he didn't go through the normal foreclosure procedure. That would have raised too many red flags because he did this multiple times a year. He just, there's something called a deed in lieu of foreclosure. And he would just say, look, either, you know, either do this or either give me the deed back to the house and move out or I'm going to have to go to court and foreclose on you. And. Usually these people would be here illegally and they didn't want to have any entanglements with the law so they would just give up and leave and not report him for doing this. And so that's what you want to look out for. You have to look out for people doing that kind of thing. If the red flags here should be if the house is priced too high, if you're buying a house, I'm talking mostly about commercial properties today, but this was going on in houses and it can go on in commercial too. If the selling price is seems too high to begin with. And if the seller's interest rate that he's willing to give you is way too high, I mean, if it's two or three times what the going rate is with a lender, you need to walk away from that. You don't want to touch that. Something is up with that and it's not right. Whatever whatever he's up to is not good. So, so that's just a little warning. You want to try and stay away from I don't know why this guy's not in jail. I think they've tried to indict him on that. Somehow he got around it, but they, the man should be in jail. But anyway, so here we are with creative financing questions. Now, now I've told you why you have to be careful. Let's talk about different types of creative financing. So the first one is the most popular, the most common is seller financing. Somebody wants to sell their property. And for whatever reason, they're willing to finance all or part of that purchase price. And sometimes it's rarely, it's the entire amount. Usually they want a cash down payment, usually a pretty big cash down payment. And to finance the rest of it, sometimes they just want to do a second lien. In other words, they'll finance the down payment for you and you go to your other lender and get the main mortgage on the property, the first lien position. So that's the most. Those are the most common ones, and I have done deals like that before. I've done. I bought one property where I was, I was buying another property at the same time. I didn't have the cash to put up for the second property when it came on the market, and I saw it and I wanted to get it. I didn't want to lose it, so I asked the seller if they would give me a note on the down payment amount, and I would pay it off in six months. And, uh, and that's what we, and we paid it off in six months. I don't have to make payments on it. I just paid it off in six months. I knew I was going to have the cash for it. So that's what we did. I, six months I paid that seller off. And so that's a pretty decent way to do that. Now, if you had, if I had to make payments on that for the next five years or whatever, I probably would not have done that. Or I would have found another way to pay it off, but you don't want to have a hundred percent financed. Uh, it's usually not a good idea. Okay. So that covers seller financing and for now we're going to get into why someone would want to do that in just a minute. Another type of creative financing is in how you structure the deal to begin with. A lot of the larger deals like apartment complexes, they structure this in a something called a syndication deal or they have to they actually have to do SEC filings and stuff I don't try to I don't want to get involved in at this point. But they take on investors, outside investors, that put up sometimes as much as half of the purchase price, and then you get the financing in place for the rest of it, for the majority of the cost of the property. And so there's zero money out of your pocket. And then you structure this deal so that these people are paid off after a certain amount of time, and they either hold equity after that or they don't. Uh, and sometimes you can just structure the deal with the seller if it's a small property to say look I want to buy it you can similar to what I did with the property you know you do it like a balloon a single balloon payment or a single payment on say half the purchase price down the road and how you structure that is totally up to you and the seller I mean, you can negotiate whatever you're able to negotiate uh, as far as length of time interest rates that kind of thing so And then we're going to to get into here in a minute, structuring deals with options. So the next type of creative financing is master leases. So master leases are interesting. You don't actually get ownership of the property, but you have control of the property. You can do whatever you want to the property. So let's say a seller has a property for $500,000 and you want to buy it and you don't want to, you don't have, Enough cash for a down payment. Maybe you only have ten percent, so you negotiate with the seller. You say, "Look, I'll give you ten. I'll give you your asking price, but I want to. I want to structure it this way. I have ten percent down. I'll give you a master lease for, let's say, five years, and pay you this much a month. I have control of the property. I can do whatever I want. I can make improvements. I can raise rents. I can get new tenants." And at the end of that five years, I want a purchase option so that I can purchase a property on or before the end of that lease for the specified amount, your asking price. And so you can structure this lease however you want. Again, it's negotiable. You could say, I want part of my lease payment to go toward the purchase of the property. And then I'll pay you the difference. So what that does for the seller is it gives him income on the property, but it takes away his headaches of managing the property. And it also defers his taxes. And some of that money, if some of that payment goes toward the purchase price, then he's going to have that much of his income, taxes off of that much income deferred for the next however many years your lease is, and then the purchase goes in at the end. Now, the risk to him is taxes can change. They can go up or down, and he might end up paying more taxes. He might end up paying less taxes on that. You just don't know, but he's going to have already paid on part of it. He's going to have paid on what you've paid into that purchase price so far. It's only what's left that's going to be taxed. Master leases in the market I worked in, the market I deal in the most, they're not very common. Some parts of the country, they may be more common than there, but they aren't very common around, around my market. And um, so I have never done a master lease myself. I have seen one, but I have never done one myself. I'm not crazy about them, but it is a decent way to get into a property without a lot of money. And the next one is purchase options. And what do I mean by a purchase option? Well, if you're buying, for example, land, say you're buying a 10 acre lot, you really need five acres of that lot. You don't need 10, but that's the only way the seller is going to sell it right at the moment. And you talk him into you negotiate an option. You say, okay, I'll buy the first five acres at your asking price, but I want to option the second five acres for, say, two years down the road. Because I need the five acres right now. I need to develop it, I need to build on it, build a retail center, or whatever you're going to build on it. And you don't need the other five acres until, say, you get to maybe something something like a phase two of your retail center. Once you get your retail center built and stabilized and full of tenants, you're going to go back there and build either more retail space or build some office buildings or something like that, or maybe, maybe apartments. And so you want to put off finishing the 10 acre purchase for a couple of years. So you put up some option money, give them, you know, whatever, 10,000, dollars to hold that land, you control it. He can't sell it to anybody else. It's basically under contract to you for whatever period of time you negotiated. And then at that time, on or before the end of that contract, you can finish the purchase on the other five acres. That's a nice way to do it. It's uh, It gives you some breathing room on buying land, and it also enables you to buy a piece of land that's bigger than what you actually need, but that sometimes that's the only way you can get what you need. So sometimes that's a good deal. So what kind of property types are we looking at for creative financing? So believe it or not, in the commercial world, there are some property types that are more common in creative financing deals than than conventional deals. Now in residential, it's a lot more common. Of course, it's a lot easier to do and it's pretty common to do that. In the commercial world, certain property types are more common for this. And here are a few of them: self-storage, RV parks, mobile home parks. Now, why would they be more why would the creative financing deals be more common with those property types? Those property types have a business attached to it. And usually Those businesses are run by a couple, a mom and pop operation. And at some point, those people want to sell for some reason. They either get tired of doing it or they're ready to retire and they want to cash out of it and they need to sell their property. So a lot of times you can get those people to do seller financing. And if they are a retiring couple or a retiring individual and they've owned that property for a long time, chances are they have it paid off and they might be more willing to be your lender, to be your bank because they get a cash down payment from you and they get to continue getting income off the property throughout their retirement years. So they don't have to give up the income, and they defer a lot of their taxes. Their taxes are paid out over time, just like your loan payment is paid out over time. So every year, their CPA is going to take that and calculate how much tax they owe off of what you have paid into them for the year. And that's how they will benefit from that. Um, And some of these properties, like RV parks, for example, now self-storage, lenders love self-storage. They have such a high success rate. I believe it's a 98% success rate. So only 2% of self-storage properties fail as a business. RV parks are difficult to get loans on. Lenders don't like them and they will loan on them, but they don't loan enough. They won't loan. I've seen a lot of them say they won't loan more than 50% because a lot of times the value of property is really inflated in their eyes, because the property is being sold based on the amount of income it generates. If you took away all the income, you wouldn't be left with much. You'd have a piece of land, some plumbing, some pads, and some electrical stuff, and maybe an office and a laundromat facility or something. But you don't have much of a rentable property or sellable property if all the tenants are gone. And that's what they're looking at. So that increases their risk. So they don't want to loan more than about half of the value of that property. So you got to come up with a big down payment. A lot of times you're going to get that from the seller. And I have, as a broker, I brokered a deal a couple of years ago on an RV park. It was actually my second time to sell that same RV park. I sold it to the first owners. And it's an interesting deal. The guy who built that RV park... It was an RV park and self-storage facility on one property. He died before he had a chance to open it. His heirs did not want that property. They didn't know what to do with it, and they wanted to get rid of it, and they sold it cheap. So I brokered the deal with the buyers. They got that thing up and running and making a huge amount of money, and then a couple of years after they bought it, they decided to sell it and cash out of it, and they cashed out of it really well. And the buyer, he had that problem with the lender, and so they ended up seller financing a portion of the purchase price. And uh, so that's uh, that's usually how those deals end up. The seller financing makes it easier to get the deal done. Mobile home parks are kind of the same way, but they're a little bit more stable than RV parks, I believe. So who are these sellers? Well, usually they are, like I said, they're retiring couples or elderly people who are unable to keep up with the property. And a lot of times they just want to get rid of it. They are what I call don't wanters. Or maybe they inherited it and usually those people that group of people there they don't like they don't want the property anymore. They don't know what to do with it. They don't know how, they can't keep up with it or they just want to retire and go enjoy themselves and they don't want it anymore. And and then you have investors who and there are actually some investors out there who buy the property Increase the value of it, and sell it off, and do some seller financing because they get they hold the note. They like to hold the note, and they can always sell that note anytime they want. But they they earn an interest rate on that money. So that's who your sellers are, and sometimes they're pretty easy to find. And it it doesn't hurt to ask. All you got to do is ask. A lot of people say, "Well, how do you get those deals?" Well, you just ask. Ask if they're willing to do it. If they're not, they'll just say no. And you say, okay, well, let's just do it the regular way, you know, if that's what you want to do. Sometimes, if a property's on the market for a long time, they don't have any choice of if they want to sell it. If it's been on the market for, I've seen properties on the market for a year, maybe two, that means a couple of things. For First of all, they have got the property overpriced. And their terms are just not good. But sometimes it's just not marketed well by the real estate agent that has it listed for them. And it just sits there. So you can make a lower offer and get them to do some seller financing. Say, look, you know, you've had this on the market for a year and nobody's made you an offer. I'll make you an offer, but you're going to have to give me some financing. And Sometimes they'll do it. And I've kind of touched on why they would do it. They want to continue getting income on the property when they sell it. Sometimes they want to defer their taxes. If they've got a lot of taxes, a lot of income coming from somewhere else, they may not want to pay all pay all that up front. You know, they, they want to defer those taxes. Basically, they want to still benefit from the property without the hassle of ownership. And that is a big reason for them to do that. And there's possibly some amount of desperation. An urgent need to sell the property. Sometimes... I mean, if you have somebody that has a half million dollar property and they owe, they only owe $50,000 on it, but for some reason they have an urgent need to sell it and, you know, you can offer them, okay, I'll give you a 10%, 10% down and you give me, you know, a loan for the rest of it. And sometimes they'll do it. It depends on their urgent need. It depends on what they need. If the if they need cash. That won't work. But if they have, maybe they have some health reason for wanting to get out of it. And they can't handle it anymore, and they just want to do it quick. And they might do that, and they still get their income off of it. And they just don't have the hassle of owning the property anymore. So those are just a few of the creative financing methods that are out. They're not the only ones. That's why they call it creative financing. You can, whatever you can come up with, whatever you can create in your mind that will work whatever you can negotiate between two people, I mean, it might be that you have a, it might be that you have a chicken farm and you want to trade for an office building and, and get some financing on the side, or you know, it might be that somebody wants to sell their building and you don't have all the money, you're willing to let them keep ten percent of the equity or something, you know, it's just it, whatever you can come up with. Whatever you can negotiate between two people. That's what creative financing is all about. It's making it work for both parties and everybody coming out with what they consider to be a win. Give each other what you want, basically. So, it's pretty simple. And I love when things are simple. Don't try to overcomplicate it. And if you have any questions, go to the YouTube channel of the same name, Real Estate Revenue. And I'm posting videos on there now again. And you can leave questions in the comments if you have any ideas, anything you want me to touch on in a future episode. And that's about it for this episode. And I'll talk to you in the next one.